0: Software Engineering Radio episode 40, interview with Werner Vogels. Welcome SE Radio listeners to this new episode of Software Engineering Radio. This is another one of our interview episodes. This time we are talking to Werner Vogels. He is the CTO, the Chief Technology Officer of Amazon. You probably all know Amazon from the perspective of the customer, of the user of the system for which uh, Werner is responsible ultimately. Um, In this episode, we're going to talk about the other perspective, what you have to do in order to make systems on the scale of Amazon scalable, perform well, and as reliable as is necessary. Wanner is an authority on building scalable and robust distributed systems, and he also has a weblog where you can read about his thoughts and his insights on this topic, and it is at allthingsdistributed.com. We'll put this into the show notes. We are really glad to have Wanner on the podcast. You don't get the chance too often to talk to people who have built systems on the scale of Amazon, so we are really, really happy to, to be able to talk to him. Again, we have recorded this interview at the JAU Conference 2006 in Aarhus, Denmark. And um, you might hear some of the background noise of the exhibition floor. But again, I think it's quite acceptable quality. Have fun. Well, why don't you explain a little little bit about your personal background and your job and what you do at Amazon?
1: Okay, so I'm I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Amazon as well as the uh, uh, Vice President for Worldwide Architecture which makes me uh, responsible for, let's say, architectural coherence throughout um, all of Amazon systems, as well as um, I think the typical role of a CTO is to represent the technology side towards the business and the business side towards technology. So you have to be able to be a, a, a very strong technologist, but you have to be able to explain and take ideas from the business side and, and know how technology, what the role is, that technology should play in there. Um, so how how I got here was um, so for ten years or more than ten years I was a um, a research scientist at Cornell University, mm-hmm. uh, specialized in uh, large scale enterprise systems. In building very uh, very scalable, highly reliable systems, at least the the algorithms that uh, that you need for for that, um, and, and along the time, uh, you know, we had our own companies uh, uh, transfer technology out of uh, academia into industry, and I played a role in that. And as such, at one moment, the um, it was a a good moment to transfer into industry.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: so i guess most of our listeners probably know amazon from from the customer's pr- perspective from buying books and cds and stuff so how would you characterize the systems that you that you use at amazon obviously they have to be scalable but there are probably other characteristics that are interesting to talk about
1: yeah so um i think first thing to realize is that amazon is uh, is may look to some of our buying customers as just a, a, a web store but in reality it's a technology platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so what 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 does that mean? It means that uh it's it's on one hand an e-commerce platform where um many customers Uh, buy products but also where a large of our customer segment that is sellers actually sell their goods so about 28 to 30 percent of the uh, articles that are being sold on amazon are not sold by amazon itself but by third parties Um, so we had to transform the amazon application into um, a data integration platform that could do these kind of uh, marketplace uh, uh, businesses and then we had to after that transform it into a web services environment because we wanted to open up um, all this data that was in this platform, um, all the product data as well as all the the community-attributed data such as reviews and lists and things like that. We wanted to open that up for the larger community to use. So that is what I call more the the data integration side of the Amazon platform. And on the other hand, there's the, the services integration side, which is mainly used by large enterprise partners, such as Target, Bombay, MBA, and other large websites who run their uh, websites, although we run the websites for them, but powered by Amazon technology through, um, through the use of the Amazon Enterprise Services.
0: So... How would you define scalability uh, in, in your context?
1: Oh, for us, scalability. Uh, first of all, scalability is extremely important to us yes. because yeah. we, uh, we grow over many dimensions. And it's not just a matter of uh, you know, having more customers, but in general, your data sets grow, the number of requests grow, uh, memory usage grows, uh, number of databases, number of developers. So there's, there's many accesses in daily life to scalability next to the just the pure technical one. So, um, but if we come back to the pure technical one, uh, I've given a definition in the past that um, if you add resources to a system, a, scalab- a system is scalable, that if you add resources to a system, then the performance should improve um, actually, um, in relation to the resources that you've added mm-hmm. to it. Yep. You know? um, which which basically means that if you want to see uh, an equivalent improvement in performance giving the resources that you've added. Now, many algorithms, especially those in the, in the area of distributed systems and fault tolerance, do not allow you for such a nice linear scalability. Yep. Um, so that is one side of scalability. Sometimes you have to add resources to it because um, you want to achieve redundancy or fault tolerance. Well, in that case, the system is scalable if, when you add those resources the performance does not deteriorate, mm-hmm. stay, stay stable. Yeah. And of course, then there is a number, a number of other um, important parts to scalability. You know, you must be able to deal with heterogeneity, because if your systems grow, it's obvious that you will get heterogeneous hardware, yeah. and I don't mean different vendors, but I mean more faster machines, machines with more memory, and if your software is really built for a homogeneous environment, you obviously are going to run into problems there. Yeah. Um, other things around scalability is, um, you know, the larger things uh, grow, um, the larger these systems become, the higher is the probability for seeing some continuous failures happening, uh, which means that you have to have resilience built into your system from the start. You have to realize that if systems scale, then that there will be, they will be failing all the time. Any, some components will fail at any time. So your systems have to be resilient to that. And then there's two, two last aspects, I think, to uh, availibi- to uh, scalability. Uh, one is that systems need to be able to scale um, with reduced human involvement. So if you need mm-hmm. 10 people um, to manage 100 machines, if you then go to 1,000 machines, you shouldn't go to 100 people. Actually, I believe that you can use the same 10 people to, uh, yep. to manage the 1,000 machines. And to be honest, in really scalable systems, you sh- these you should, your system should be architected such that you would only need one or two uh-huh. for tens of thousands of machines, um, because many of these uh, many of the management can be should can and should be automated. And then the last part around scalability is that of uh, that your your scalability techniques should be cost effective, uh-huh. meaning that if your system grows over time. Yeah, you should be able to exploit that larger volume and the larger scale that you have um, to make sure that services that are offered are offered. You know, the the unit of work actually costs less.
0: Yeah, I, I heard. People from Sun, I think, talk about the problem of energy consumption in big uh, computing centers. So one aspect of scalability could also be the amount of energy that is used. Is that something you're kind of thinking about? Is that a problem for you?
1: Absolutely. I think uh, anybody that runs large data centers, is uh, one, one part of your cost is power. And it's knowing that electricity, um, the way that traditional electrici- electrical systems are built, is that there is a significant loss of power. Uh, during transfer, um, I don't know the numbers for for Amazon, but I've seen them in other places where um, they may lose at uh, may lose as much as fifty to to sixty percent of the energy um, along the way mm-hmm. um, just by by loss of electrical components. Yep. Uh, now I, I'm not going to say that those are the numbers for Amazon because I don't know them, uh, but yep. these are numbers that I've heard. Say otherwise, so. Pure in terms of, of energy consumption, um, you know, if you could just reduce that by half by having more mm-hmm. efficient circuits, absolutely. Yeah, and and I think um, actually what you referred to was um, uh, a presentation I think by the Google guys at um, at the Intel Developer that Forum. That might be yeah, um, where they actually pointed towards um, the inefficiency of power supplies on on commodity servers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Amazon's situation is as bad as that. The Google guys uh, assume we we don't use commodity um, uh, white box hardware Mm -hmm. like probably they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we we already have better power supplies. But it's clear that uh, power supplies is one of those entry points into an an architecture that could be vastly improved with respect to uh, power efficiency. Mm
0: -hmm. So which kinds of technologies do you use or do you prefer, I mean... uh, you know, are you a J2E or a .NET guy or what's what's the kind of architectural technology you use at Amazon?
1: Well, well, actually, we use none of the above. that's what i expected uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> no so so there's a long history behind Amazon. Amazon started off as being having one application server talking to a database in the back end, and those databases grew and and the application server front end grew bigger and bigger and um, there was more uh, that particular application was actually written in c mm-hmm. um and so that application grew, and many of the content was actually written in a special homegrown language. Mm-hmm. And, but after four or five years, there was clearly an end of life of that architecture, and then we switched to um, having building another uh, application container that, that would be that would drive our service oriented architecture internally. so internally, we moved uh, we split up all the databases into small parts, and around each part. We uh, we located the the business functionality or the 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 code that that operates on that data and made sure that the only way that that, that data could be accessed was through a services interface. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming back, so the the front end app, um, the one that actually constructs the web pages for you. Um, is partly written in C++ in doing uh, request management and, and, and things like that. And then around that, inside that has a, a Perl, Perl Mason environment to uh, actually build the content. Mm-hmm. So from that application container, lots of requests go out. If you hit the gateway page, it often does, t- talks to somewhere between 100 and 150 different services uh, to to retrieve the content um, to, to build the page with. Um, so that is so. there's a lot of C++ in Java being done uh, within Amazon, but we also look at newer languages such as Ruby, Erlang, and, and quite a few other techniques are being investigated whether or not they, they, they can be useful for Amazon. Yep. But we're not stuck with one particular approach. There's some places where we uh, do use J2EE containers, uh, but in this case, actually, uh, we just use JBoss, but we use it in the I- in the simplest version possible, just only the container with the JMX kernel. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some places, but no, none of the extended transactional beans stuff and things. Like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And is that, I mean, is this just y- your your philosophy to build some of these things yourself? So you have it under control, or do you think there is? I mean, probably uh, there is specific technical reasons why things like J2E or, or that matter, I don't know, dot .NET, Windows, Communications Foundation or something, isn't, isn't what you want to use?
1: Well, maybe, maybe if you would want to start from scratch again mm. today, yeah, that's that would be, mm-hmm. you, you might come to a different conclusion. Yeah. Um, but our, our own history has shown that many of the third-party technologies that we've used actually... Um, are hard to scale at the size of Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially uh, those uh, technologies that have to do with, um, you know, the communication infrastructure and things like that. Uh, Repeatedly, we've run into problems with, with those technologies that, they work well up to a certain scale. And it's also clear what the vendors tell us, you know, until that point and not, not further. Yep. And Amazon is such a sole outlier in terms of its scale. Yep. None of the vendors is really interested in investing, <laughs> in, investing in actually scaling yeah. scaling up their technology, yeah. if such a thing would be possible. Yeah. Uh, so in many cases, um, it's... Uh, we are just being forced by it, just by forces mm-hmm. of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, in other places, we do it consciously because, especially where it goes about um, performance, availability, um, and and cost efficiency. Those are all those are three things, the three drivers of the overall architecture that you really want to have good control over. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Um, if if our website goes down for let's say fifteen minutes or twenty minutes, yeah, and I have to turn around and I have to say um, you know this was company's act fault yeah. because you know they gave us that, that technology but we didn't really know we don't really know what's inside we don't know what the bugs are but it came around to, to bite us that's, that's another situation you want to have yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not saying that Amazon uh, technology is more or less bug free than commercial technology yep. but it's clear that you want to have control over that, you want to be yep. able to debug it and you know during Q4 with millions of people banging on your door during the holiday season yeah. you don't want to have uh, long phone calls with for example Oracle uh, to fix a particular problem now Oracle has been an extremely good partner of us and, and we, s- we continue to, to use them in all sorts of places so they're actually more or less an example but um, there's, there's many other vendors where we've had this, uh, these accidents with and we, we try to avoid them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In, in your presentation this morning, and for our listeners, we were at the JAU conference in Denmark actually. Uh, in your keynote you, you, you said something that I found quite interesting and that was that uh, uh, like, you don't like
1: middleware because they are frameworks and not tools. Uh, c- can you elaborate on that a little bit? Okay, there was one line in, in kind yeah. of things which are still challenges for Amazon. Yeah, and it's not, and that has to do with I think, uh, uh, that's experiences that are beo- for me beyond Amazon also. Um, often, if you uh, take one middleware package, you get a sort of lock in from a vendor. Yeah, they have chosen uh, software patterns around their service or around the, the software that they offer often in a way that you can only use their middleware Mm. yeah now everyone that has in all sorts of realism had to build a real application knows that there's no single vendor that can give you everything Uh, so you might want to use uh, packages from three or four different middleware vendors well it's very hard to get them to work together Um, and so what i say there is that you know these frameworks uh, you often can only use one framework at a time. Mm-hmm. So if a middleware forces you to use their framework, often you're stuck. Yep. Yeah. So you need to have one event loop for doing your messaging. You need to have another event loop because of your your data persistence provider, and then another one for your Ajaxy stuff. And such things become quickly rather complex. Now. If middleware would be really available in smaller components, mm-hmm. in more as tools yep. than as frameworks, that would get me. Um, that I think a lot of developers would make it would make it a lot easier to mix and match different middleware technologies.
0: Um, so, since we're talking about middleware technologies and and the problems of integrating them, I mean. <laughs> Web services claim that they are interoperable? Do you have any specific experience there? I personally am quite skeptical there. But, um, so what's your opinion there?
1: Well, no. no. In, in essence, you know, it's, it's not that hard to just send some XML over the wire. Obviously, and both yes. Both sides agree on <laughs> what that schema. XML means. Yeah. Yes. And whether that's a schema or whether it's yeah. a WSDL file or, yeah. or whatever, I think that's, that's not too hard. Um, I think where most people's skepticism comes from is from the extend, uh, extended WS stack. Um, that seems to be able, seems to want to solve all distributed systems problems again, again. but now for <laughs> for web web services. Now that's great for uh, some of your vendor documentation, um, but but in essence, I don't think it helps the idea around service orientation now. I'm, I'm not going to make, um, you know, break a, a lance for, for, for uh, promote either SOAP or REST style interfaces. So, yeah. uh, in Amazon Web Services, we offer both. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the statistic, it, it appears that there is about 20%, uh, 20, 20 to 30% of the calls come in over the uh, SOAP interfaces, and the 70% mm-hmm. comes in over REST. Yeah, now, that number. has nothing to do actually. Um, with either technology. Uh It turns out that if you uh, analyze this, um, those uh, developers that are using the SOAP interfaces, in general, use Java or .NET. Mm -hmm. They consume uh, the WSDL file, which creates then a whole bunch of remote objects for them, and that's how they use it. Um, The developers that use the the REST interface are actually developers that that have picked up a PHP or Mm -hmm. a Perl library that encapsulates... Those interfaces. Now, from the outside, whether it's a whole bunch of remote objects or whether it is the PHP, um, Perl libraries, um, you still get some sort of procedural object-oriented yeah. interface to Amazon, and and developers, to be honest, at that level don't, don't care. care. <laughs> they absolutely don't care what goes on the wire. Yeah. They just want to yeah. get their job done. Yeah. Now, um, of course, this is a more this is a a simpler approach to doing uh, web, web, web services I believe you can very quickly start doing your web services you don't need to buy into some sort of major revolutionary yeah. approach yeah. you know you can start off with thinking well you know what if I would just do my inventory level of product X as a service you could even do that internally within your, server, within your company. That takes one developer to do that, and then you let it run free after that. Let's see whether the other developers in your company can do some mixing and mashing with that service that you've developed. Um, there's there's a, lot of, a lot to be gained there. Now, for us, web services was really important because we wanted to build uh, an open community around Amazon. And for that, web services seem to be the ideal Technology so Because it's simple for people to use.
0: Right, so you, you're, you're using them on the perimeter, basically, on the outside, but not internally very no, we, much. We're not
1: using web services as such on the inside. We, you, we have a service-oriented architecture internally. That means all data is encapsulated by services, and the only way to get access to that functionality or to the data is through the service interface. And actually, we describe the service interfaces in WSDL. Mm-hmm. Um but we use uh, our own homegrown transport mechanisms uh. and, and encapsulation mechanisms there. So even though they're not using XML you might still say they're services or even web services. Yeah. Um uh, it's 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 you know it's fine grained bickering. Yeah. <laughs> um and I think, you know, anything that, that produces a lot of hype before it delivers any real implementations is bound to run into problems. Yeah. Um but oh. as such, I think web services can can start to do a lot f- for people. But, you know, take it step by step mm-hmm. and, and build some good stuff there.
0: So, y- you mentioned that you, you're using an SOA internally, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, prompts the question, uh, what you think is the characteristic properties of SOAs? Because this is a term that's really not very well defined, I think. So... Uh,
1: I can only mention it within the context of Amazon, of course. Yeah, of course, yes. Um, And for Amazon, services mean that they're the independent units that deliver specific functionality within Amazon. Um, It's also how Amazon is organized in terms of teams. So, uh, in general, if you have a new new business idea or a new problem that we want to solve, you create a small team. Uh, We would like those teams not to be... uh, not to be larger than let's say eight to ten people, mm-hmm. because after that communication with yep. the other team uh, yep. actually goes exponentially. And, and we call those teams two pizza teams. You know, the team should not be larger than what you can feed of two pizzas. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and so teams are small, uh, and team gets uh, gets the assignment to solve something, to solve, and to solve it as a service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, this is something we went through last year. We have we have all these books scanned in, and we have all these texts of these books, such that we could do search inside the book. Um, that was a popular uh, popular technique, but, or a popular service that that we offered. But there's so much more that you can do once you have the text of books. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so one of the things, you know, one of the new ideas was well, you know, what can we do in terms of analyzing the books? analyzing text, such that we can build sort of new relationships between books. Um, um, And that team then went off and created something, uh, used statistical improbable phrases, find phrases in a book that are unique for the book, then find other books that have the same unique Uh phrase and Uh then make relationships for them. And so in that way, your customers can actually find different Products now on the side, and yeah. we new relationships that that were unknown b- yeah. b- before that. Now, so a team takes that idea, goes off, and has all the authority to build that particular service in any way that they see fit. Then, you know, the outcome we integrate it in, in, into the website. We do extensive uh, sort of A/B testing, you know, yeah. with and without, and see what the impact is, and do relentless measurements around there. And then and then take it from there. Now, the way that we can do all these things in parallel is because the output of that is a is a service, mm-hmm. and um, it really meets the needs of our really sort of agile development. And I don't mean that in terms of you know the official agile <laughs> development. I mean yeah. more as the common agile word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, to really have fast time to market, be independent. Uh, and it's important that the infrastructure around it, around these services, allow you to, b- to build these services very fast. such yeah? so yep. You can do deployment easily, you can do um, instrumentation for monitoring, uh, tracking, all these kind of things, because the infrastructure helps you build services this quickly.
0: So I guess you have your own kind of little tools that help people come up with services that are compliant to your internal guidelines like for monitoring or deployability or things?
1: Um, so we um, well they're not little tools. Uh, okay. at, at at Amazon scale these things grow big. Yeah. Uh, take for example the whole um uh, the whole build process plus deployment process. We have two big systems there, mainly for managing dependencies and then being able to do a the deployment of, of a system like uh-huh. that. Um, so it's pretty complex because, of course, you want all the right tools to be deployed on on a new services box. Yeah, And that means not only the code that works for... Um, Your particular application, but also all the monitoring code and all the other, some licensing stuff and all the other things that need to be present at at a node if it's going to be deployed in the Amazon network. Uh, So there's lots of tools around there, also homegrown and developed over time. Um, The thing is that I've seen almost every other company have a similar style of problems. Yep. And everybody has ho- a homegrown system yes. that does <laughs> this for them yeah. um, one, one thing to realize is that um, with, uh, with ec two, which is our elastic compute cloud um, uh, offering in web services, you already get a bit of a glimpse about the technologies that we 're using internally for development. Um, so there you know your, your, your output of your deployment process is a virtual machine image which you then can mm-hmm. use e c two to f- to start any number of those mm-hmm. uh, di- dynamically mm-hmm. um, and and but very important in the overall uh, infrastructure of Amazon is indeed our monitoring and uh, yes I'd and expect. performance management yep. uh, because if you have such a large chaos of services. <laughs> No, you need to be able to find out what are the dependencies between yeah. services. On runtime. Yeah. time, you need to be able to look, um, to inspect their performance, not only now, but historically. Yeah. Uh, and you need to be able to have very good tools, of course, to debug such a very large distributed system. Yeah.
0: So... Um, before you you said that you have your own technologies, but you could use some of the J2EE .NET stuff. So I guess uh, the really important thing is not the technology, but rather a set of architectural patterns or guidelines or styles or whatever you like to call this, uh, in order to build the kinds of system that you have to build. So can you elaborate a little bit on on things like stateful, stateless, RPC versus message based? You know these some of these of these characteristics are. Or, or, or
1: so, so important within Amazon is definitely loosely coupled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that if there is one of those high-level buzzwords, I think loosely yeah. coupled is one that does it well within Amazon. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, in uh, there, our know, development process, there is something which we call actually working from the customer backwards. So, um, if you have a large environment like Amazon... Uh, The trick is to continue to focus on the kind of value that you want to deliver for your customer Um, and not get too much hooked up into all sorts of fancy technology or infrastructure that you can develop. So what we do is... we, we force developers or, or small teams like that to focus on the particular value they have to deliver for the customer mm-hmm. and then use a process that is called fo- working from the customer backwards. Mm-hmm. So you kind of go through an inverse process instead of developing technology first and then figuring out what kind of problems you want to solve with it. Yep. And, yep. and do, it, this works the other way around. The first thing that someone that starts such a service has to write is, for example, a press release. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So yeah. the yeah. first thing to write—not necessarily that it has to go out to the press—but yeah. uh, the idea is that in the press, re- in, it. in the press release in general, you pretty clearly describe yeah. what is the functionality that yeah. you're going to That's offer. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so you work backwards from that. You take all the other steps um, just to make sure that you end up with a design that is as minimal as possible. Yeah. Simplicity, I think, is key. Um, if you really bon- want to build very large. Uh, distributed systems the only way that you are capable of managing them is if to keep things simple and you can keep things simple by making sure that there are no hidden requirements and hidden dependencies and all these kind of things in your design and really cutting the technology as minimal to exactly what you need to solve the particular problem for the customer Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's that's an interesting take that somehow goes against some of the hype driven vendor driven technology uh,
1: well, uh, well I think we all love technology you know we yeah. would do nothing <laughs> le- nobody I think all engineers that I know the, the, the coolest thing you would do is just build your own level your own infrastructure yeah. your own level of middleware and then yeah. all sorts of things and then yeah. you know and all for maybe some future use of you know, oh, that would be really cool to have. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think um, it doesn't help a company. And mm-hmm. you create uh, all sorts of layers of extreme high complexity that the only thing that can really happen to them is that they fail.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, so in terms of the other things actually that you ask, you know, stateful versus stateless, RPC, message based things like that. Um, I think if you look at large system and the, scalabi- the scalability of those large system, it's all centered around state management. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Um, so uh, at Amazon, we have a number of these very large storage engines. Um, S3 on the outside is, for example, yep. one of them. Yep. Uh, but we have a number internally also that are really focused on building, uh, delivering very highly available storage, infinite storage mm-hmm. to developers. Um, and so the essence of some of the operations are that they're stateless by themselves. Mm-hmm. And for others, it's just state they are stateful. But mm-hmm. and there aren't really that many operations that are stateful in an environment like this. Most of them yeah. take uh, some customer ID or maybe take some session ID um, to look at uh, you know, some services that work maybe on giving you recommendations based on the things that you did in this session yep. but it's not that we then suddenly start keeping track of that we were keeping track of that anyway mm-hmm. yep. uh, so many so it's of in us database it's, basically. In it's in it's in some storage it's in, okay, it's storage, in some, yeah. Service. Yeah. some service some yeah. service the the what is it, the most recent clicked uh page service yeah, or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. um that would give you this particular information um so there isn't that much. So um, most of our services are pretty stateless mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but I think that goes for most of yeah. the web e-commerce style applications. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, once you get into uh, a series of checkout steps, there is state yeah. associated with that. It's so a process. But more. you know, then that becomes more workflow yeah. orientation than yeah. than it's a web page yeah. environment. Yeah. yeah, can you?
0: S- something else I, I remember from your presentation this morning, um, the Cap Theorem. I think that's also very interesting and maybe worth briefly elaborating on.
1: <laughs> okay, so this morning I tried to explain, uh, you know, what is what is some of the core problems that I think everyone that has to do large-scale state management have to deal with. So the Cap Theorem is something that was um, dubbed by Eric Brewer, who used to run Inc to Me and is now back at being a professor at in, in Berkeley. Um, this is something that he posed in a presentation to uh, the POTSY community, which is a distributed systems theoretician community. Uh-huh. Um, so the statement there was that there are these three properties of systems. Uh, one is partitionability, meaning that whether or not uh, a system can have a number of nodes on one side of a network partition and another other set of nodes on another side of the network partition. And while they can see the small groups, they can't see everyone. Uh, so that is basically partitionability, and then there is consistency that 's the c and then there is a it 's availability in the p for partitioning. Uh, consistency means that if i if I write uh, a value and then I read the value, then I get the same value back. Yeah? Uh, there are a few conditions on the partition on the partitions that that is not possible, or that there is a small chance that that would happen on the other hand there's the highly available stuff meaning that you know sometimes you cannot you can always write to it mm-hmm. yeah um, but you might not be able to read or you might not be able or sometimes the system will say no I can't write because I want to keep things consistent yep. now so anyway coming back to so this the there's these of these three properties you can only always get to mm-hmm. yeah and in reality systems like Amazon are always partitionable because they're always relying on, yep. on, the, on the network. And so that almost means that you have to choose for your system, for your data system, to be either highly consistent, meaning that whatever I write to it, I can always read it back, mm-hmm. or to be highly available, which means that under certain circumstances, the system will say, no, mm-hmm. I cannot store it. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Um, and so there's these trade-offs. Uh, on uh, On both sides, and so it 's very it's to build really scalable systems you have to find uh, the right overlap between choices of availability and consistency mm-hmm.
0: yeah okay, so before we wrap up this this episode i 'd like to ask you uh, what what do you think about some of the interesting trends for distributed systems. People might have heard about things like JBI or SCA. So is there anything on the horizon, grids, whatever, that, that you think that might kind of revolutionize distributed systems architecture?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I, I think actually that we need just need to go on with what we're doing. This morning, <laughs> no, this morning I gave uh, a long list of what I think are very common-sense distributed systems yeah. approaches to these days. We know a lot. We know a lot how to build systems, and especially systems of medium to large scale, not really large as in Amazon's sense, but, yep. you know, hundreds to thousands of, yep. of, of notes. I think uh, we've come a long way in, in doing that and there's uh, both from academic research as well as the research labs as well as vendors there's a lot of good technologies around caching around heterogeneous management uh, whether there are greedy algorithms or maybe even la- lazy approaches and all those kind of things i think we've we've produced quite a body of work yeah. um, what i would like to see is that that stuff becomes more user-friendly more mm-hmm. easily usable, especially the more esoteric ones, because I think there's a lot of uh, yep. a lot of things to be gained there um, and 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 pushing it further along to uh, b- for building really scalable systems um, I think we if you want to build really scalable systems, you have to change your mentality a little bit, mm-hmm. where uh, you almost have to approach a sort of chaos. Approach, you know, where in a probabilistic sense things will work well,
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, on average.
1: No, on no, no, not not on average. We maybe even out on the TP ninety nine or all the way on on the outskirts. Um, but that, you know, what we've done in traditional uh, uh, com- distributed systems techniques often is to present a perfect world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you use this technology, it will never go down. Mm. Well. Um, first of all, that's impossible to guarantee. <laughs> but, you know, we then use all sorts of uh, very complex agreement technologies and and all sorts of algorithms to really almost approach this perfect world as close as possible. Yeah. Yeah? Um, however, if you, if you take a more realistic approach, it says, well, you know, stuff fails all around you. Um, uh, that's reality. Why don't we embrace it? And, and go more for a sort of fast reboot or uh, fast mm-hmm. recovery approach um, on a probab- with, a, with a decent probabilistic uh, uh, spread of your data and of your services, you might get pretty close mm. to to this hundred percent availability without actually doing as much effort as that mm-hmm. you used to do in the past so you know, a more probabilistic approach to things in terms of highly scalable, uh, highly scalable systems also self organizing um, if, yep. if, if we need to get to places where you know they can automatic heal where you have large data centers where there is no data attacks running around anymore things completely lights out and you need to have a self healing environment mm-hmm. um, so I think those are more promising areas I think where we'll, we'll still see some development in 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 the coming years um, on on the customer side i you know, I love what lots of people are doing with, with Ajax. Also, what lots of people are doing with mixing and mashing of different applications. yeah, yep, um, yep. I really, really hope that more, more companies will take the effort in opening up some of their, uh, yep. some of just some part of their infrastructure or some part of their products just for people to use. I, you, you will instantly create a whole ecosystem around your company. Uh, and, and really, your customers or your, your fans at that moment will really surprise you with lots of new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think those are, those are the more promising directions, I think, for, for, the, for the coming years.
0: Okay, so Vano, thanks for being on the show, and um, yeah, good luck with Amazon. Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thanks for listening to software engineering radio if you want to get more information about software engineering radio or if you want to give us feedback please go to our website at se-radio.net you can also contact the team at team at se-radio.net although we prefer entries in our comment system on the website so other people can see what you think software engineering radio wants to thank Henning Pauli for the intro and outro music as well as Lipson for providing the bandwidth. This episode of SE Radio, as well as all other episodes, is licensed under a Creative Commons license. See the Software Engineering Radio website for details.